Hey, it's Kathy. I have something so fun to tell you about. You may know that the doors are open to my new program, The Abundance Method, but if you enroll by May 15th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, you're going to get my signature business program also made to do this. That's a $3,000 program that you are going to get for free, included if you sign up by May 15th, just before midnight Pacific time. Made to do this is a phenomenal program that has helped thousands of souls to start businesses, to be able to make a living doing something that they love. This is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at kathyheller.com slash join. If you really feel it, then keep pushing. And that's why I'm just as motivated now than I was when I was, you know, in my 20s. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show. Don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller, and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love, and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real-life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to Latote for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Get started for as low as $39 a month and enter promo code DREAMJOB to get 50% off your first month. That's latote.com and promo code DREAMJOB. Thanks to the Work in Progress podcast for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Work in Progress is a new podcast about the meaning and identity we find in work, and it's produced by Slack. Follow along on Twitter at Slack Stories and find great stories at slack.com slash podcast. That's slack.com slash podcast or at Slack Stories on Twitter. This episode is brought to you by Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective, personalized, world-class workouts, plus extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. You can claim a free trial membership. Just text the word dream job, all one word, no spaces, to 303-030 and get full access to the entire platform for free. That's dream job to 303-030 for your free trial membership. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So thank you guys for posting about the show. I did this unicorn giveaway. If you guys posted about the show and you entered the giveaway and you sent me that email saying that you had left a review for the show and that you had tweeted or posted about the show and you emailed me, you had followed, there was instructions posted on Instagram. If you followed the instructions and you sent me that, then stay tuned to your mailbox, your snail mailbox, because I'm sending you a package of stuff that I'm putting together. So thank you guys for all the love. I felt it and it's just awesome. I really appreciate all of your feedback and all of your support. It's just hard to describe and put into words how how much it means to me. So thank you for supporting the show and thank you for posting. I want to keep answering some of your questions um, every week. And so follow me at Instagram at Kathy.Heller, Kathy with a C, C-A-T-H-Y dot H-E-L-L-E-R, because um, I'm going to keep answering some of the questions that you guys posted. So let's answer a couple now before we get into today's episode. Today we have Donnie Most here. He played Ralph Mouth on Happy Days. Uh, we're going to hear his story. But before we do, let me answer a few questions. So on Instagram, uh, her handle is my dearest Lizzie, and she said, Kathy, honestly, and I hate to say I know it sounds cliche and I love to be running a fashion blog she says not just your everyday I pair jeans with a t-shirt together blog not that there's anything wrong with that she says I just feel like there's content that I'm looking for that I'm still not seeing in this field and I want to create it plus I feel that there are so many avenues to explore and opportunities to be gained through this work so long story even longer that's what I would get up every day and love to do that was going to be my question how do you break into an overly saturated market So it's a great question, Lizzie. So she's saying she wants to start a fashion blog and she's saying, how do you break into an overly saturated market? Here's what you do. You start and you start putting out content and you start doing it consistently. Instead of constantly, you know, thinking about everything and feeling overwhelmed by how big the pool is of people who are already in your field, I would just start. You know, when I started my podcast, I wasn't thinking about um, how many listeners there were and how many other podcasts there were and how many listeners they had. I was just thinking about what I needed to do because there's always room for someone else with something great to share, something great to say. There's always room for that. Uh, And, you know, sure enough, we started the podcast and 
it worked. I really feel like something that's genuine is effective, especially when there's passion behind it. And if you just start stuff, you know, we had Elise Kripe on here. She was talking about her blog that she started, which turned into a podcast, which turned into her Get to Work book. And she's made $500,000 just from the Get to Work book sales last year. But let's think about that for a second. So we just need to start. Really, that's the thing that's in our way. If you are consistently posting stuff, eventually you're gonna break through some of the noise. And if you're consistently posting awesome content and you continue to get better and better, there's different ways you can leverage that to break through. One thing you can do in addition to your blog is you can be posting other kinds of content and create a Facebook group. Have you guys created Facebook groups yet? So there's Facebook pages. Everyone knows what a Facebook page is, but then there's Facebook groups. So a Facebook group is a place where you can interact more with the people who are on your group and people can post and it's easier for other people in the group to see other people's posts. If you're on a Facebook page, you can see the the posts that the person running the page posts, but it's hard to see visitor posts. They're on a different tab. If you're part of a Facebook group, then the person running the group can post, other people can post, and it all becomes part of the same feed. So it's a much more interactive space. So if you want to start to get attention and you want to start to create content that starts to get more and more people interested in it, then I would start to think about all the different ways you can leverage your content. So if you create a great blog post, then you can also do a Facebook Live video about that and you can post that in your Facebook group. You can also run a Facebook ad with the video talking about your blog post and then you can target on Facebook ads, you can target the types of people who like fashion blogs. And how do you do that? Well, when you open up the ad manager on Facebook, it allows you to target through really specific interests. So let's say I wanted to run an ad about my podcast. And let's say that week the ad is about the Jonathan Adler episode. So I would be able to target that ad to show up on the feeds of people who've said they like Jonathan Adler. It can be really specific. Or let's say I wanna run an ad about the Mandy Moore episode. I can target people who like So You Think You Can Dance or people who say they're choreographers or people who say they're dancers. So you wanna do everything you can to get attention to what it is that you're what you're posting and you want to you want to do as much as you can to create as much content and as much buzz around what you're doing. So I would create a fashion blog, I would start posting consistently. If you're going to do a blog, if you can't post every day, post once a week. In addition to posting once a week, I would then uh, start a Facebook group with the same name as my blog and ask people questions. You have to be the one to get things started. So I'd post a question like, what are you guys wearing? Or what do you think is the coolest trend out right now? Or post uh, a photo of you know who you saw wearing this and who wore it best. Or comment. Just get people engaged. Ask people questions about that, about fashion. Um, and then I would do Facebook live videos and I would give them some tutorials and some how to's and what you think looks good together or places you think people should shop or what you think is really in right now. Um, And so I'd really engage that group. And then uh, in addition to that, I would create Facebook ads with videos talking about my blog and I would run a Facebook ad where the um, it allows you to pick like what is your priority? Is it, you know, clicks? Is it video views? You can do uh, link clicks or video views and you have people watch a video, they click through and the link that you put in there is to your blog. And sure enough, if you do that consistently, um, you're going to start to get some some traction and it doesn't matter if there's 17,000 other fashion blogs. There's always enough to go around. Actually, when you see something that's really trending, it it only means that there's a huge audience for it, right? So that's why there's a million pokey shops, right? Like everyone in LA now, we used to have tons and tons of yogurt shops and pink berries. Now it's like pokey bowl shops. And then, you know, we have like a million different coffee, you know, places. So it just means that there's uh, an audience for it. So if you are interested in, in doing fashion and you see tons of competition, that means people are interested in this. So just be consistent, be engaging. And the person who's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So that's my answer to you, Lizzie. I'd love to see it. Come to my Facebook group. Come to the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group and post and let me know how that's going. By the way, you all should come to the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. You can find it on Facebook um, in addition to the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook page. Uh, One more question. Peter wrote on Instagram. He said, when should I politely persist and when should I pivot or change gears? I know that's a broad question, but sometimes when I'm submitting my art or trying to sell my art, I worry I'm wasting time being persistent when I should just start over and try something new if the response isn't there. 
Also, he said, I just heard something amazing. He said, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. I think that that's true because we can feel that passion come through. And if the why is there and if the why is strong, that comes through the work that we do. So as far as your question, when should you know to stop being persistent and when should you know it's time to like change gears versus you just haven't been persistent enough? So I think that over the course of um, let's say a few months, a few weeks, when you're sending things out, when you're putting things online, you know, even with these episodes, I get a sense right away of which ones you guys liked and which ones you didn't because you'll either post about things on Instagram or you'll you'll send me an email about things and other things won't get the same response. So you you keep trying different approaches until you see something that really works. One thing that I'm going to start doing is playing a song of mine or a band that I love at the end of every episode because I thought it would be cool for you guys to hear some of my songs. And so at the end of this episode, you're going to hear a song of mine that was just licensed again. And licensing, that's what we call it when somebody says, I'm going to give you some money to use your song in my film or in an ad or in a movie or whatever. So if you stay tuned at the end of today's episode, you'll hear a song of mine and you'll hear them at the end of episodes going forward. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because it relates to Peter's question. In the beginning, when I was first doing music, there were so many times where I would like create a song, I'd create another song and I'd send it out to to a friend. I'd send it out to somebody in the business and people would just say, eh, I don't think so, I'm not sure. And sometimes I'd keep sending that song, another song, and I'd get that same response. Like people just weren't, you know, lighting up about it. And I started to feel like, well, maybe I should, you know, ask them why, what don't you like about it? What do you think I should change about it? And so I started asking those questions and I got really similar feedback. You know, maybe a few people would say, oh, this just seems really, you know, on the nose or this song, I don't know, it could be a little hookier or I don't know, the production isn't great. And so I started to take that stuff back with me to the lab, so to speak. I started to take the feedback back and then I started to work on my craft a little more. And I started to notice that when a song Uh, was good, let's say. What I mean by that is I would know it was good because I'd send it out, I'd send it to a friend, they'd say, wow, this is awesome. I'd send it to somebody in the business. Wow, this song is really good. And even if that song didn't get used in a show or a movie right away, I could tell there was something that worked about a particular song when the feedback right away was really strong. So even though there might've been, let's say there was like two out of 10 people who said, ah, this doesn't really work for me that wouldn't really give me an indicator that I should stop persisting. But if I really felt that nothing was really coming back, I wasn't getting an email response right away, or I wasn't getting anyone saying, this is amazing right away, I knew that probably I should ask, what could I do better about this and go back and and try to improve it? I remember Susan Lazar was here and she said that when she was first starting her clothing line, you know, she went to Bloomingdale's and they said, nah, I don't know. She said, well, what could I, what could I make better about it? What do you think? And they said, well, try this or try that. And so she went back and then she made some corrections and she came back again. It takes really strong sense of self in order to stay in it. And I think part of it is we shouldn't be setting ourselves up to fail by saying, if I don't hit it out of the park the first time uh, or the first three times, I'm just going to give up. I think that we can get a sense, you can gauge it, really start to see, you know, send it around because even if your friends are really like, this is amazing, there's probably something there. If your friends don't really have a, a huge passionate response to what it is you're putting out there, ask them why and and reach out to whoever you can. There's also, there's ways of getting more feedback. On Facebook, we've just talked about Facebook groups. There are Facebook groups out there for all different kinds of hobbies and professions and careers and interests. So whatever your hobby is, like for me, if my passion, if my pursuit, if my career, if I wanted to get into music, there's so many places where I could post a song and say, I really want your honest feedback. Do you think this is great? Do you think that it's okay? Do you think it needs work? And I would ask and see what people think. And instead of being um, overwhelmed and you know run down by that and just defeated by that, I would say, well, let me use this as really helpful feedback because it's really hard to see in our blind spot. And you know, I just heard a friend of mine say, I teach a class, by the way, for songwriters, uh, for artists, and I teach a couple of different classes. One of the classes I teach is with a guy named Ari Herstan, who I had on the show. And he was just telling me that Ed Sheeran said that writing songs is like turning on a faucet that hasn't been on in a while. So when you first turn it on, you have to get through like the sludgy brown water. But after a while, the water starts to run clear. And I think that that's true also for all kinds of creative people. And I think we have to be 
tolerant of the imperfections in order to get to the finish line. We compare ourselves to the highlight reels of other people. We don't see the sweat. We don't see the time when they are all the trial and error. Remember we had Doug here, Doug Booten here from Halo Top. And Halo Top, by the way, my husband just told me, he read an article, Halo Top is the number one seller of pints of ice cream, okay? Pints of ice cream being sold, they're the number one seller. But he said that they were bankrupt and he said there were so many times where they were so close to losing the entire thing because they had to keep going back to the lab and they had to keep perfecting the recipe because their whole thing is they're trying to make something that tastes better with less calories. And the first several times that they formulated the recipe, it just wasn't good enough and people were not so excited. They, some people would like it. Some people would say, ah, I don't like the texture. I don't like the flavor. And they had to just keep going back. So you can tell if you're honest with yourself, you can tell when something is an out the gate win and there's an immediate response. And you can tell when people are not as interested. What I see happen quite often is I see people who create some work and then for three years, they try to sell that same script. Or for five years, they're still trying to sell that same record that they wrote five years ago. So I don't think that that is a way to make it make this stuff happen. What I think should be happening is a constant generating of creative material, of content, because so you're constantly in the lab making things better and better because the best work is always yet to be created. So what are we working on? And as you're working on stuff, you don't have to then still stay persistent about the first song or the first piece of pottery you made because you can throw that stuff out there, put that stuff online, email somebody, have a meeting, see what they think about it. And meanwhile, continue to be creating more stuff. And while you're creating more stuff, you can still then be persistent by saying, well, what about this? And what do you think about that? And that was, I think, the secret to my success with music is that I was persistent and I was creating stuff and sending it out. But while I was being persistent, I wasn't continuing to send the same song. I had a discipline. I had a setup where every single Monday and Wednesday for years, I was creating and writing and recording new music. So by the end of a month, I would have for sure completed and recorded four new songs. So while I was being persistent and I wasn't giving up, even if the work was not where it needed to be, there was always another song coming. And so I was able to say, well, okay, well, what about this one? What about that one? And eventually I caught up, just like Ira Glass said, there's a gap when we first start out, there's a gap between what we know is amazing and what we're able to create. We can identify work that's beautiful and we have it in us, but we have to we have to mend that gap. We have to stay in it long enough until we're able to create the type of thing that we can point out is really good. Because initially, we're not going to be able to master it. When Saul Blinkoff was here, he talked about going to art school. He talked about how he had to really keep honing his craft so he could get into Disney. And he did not get in the first time. And he did not get in the second time. I think he said he got in the third time. Either he got in the second or the third time. But the point is, it took work, it took effort. And we talked about all of those stories and all of those movies of all of those people who we all look up to because they stay in it. So being persistent doesn't mean that you only have one thing and you send that out and if you don't get feedback on it, you move on. I think being persistent means you don't give up, you continue to create, you continue to make things better and better and better. So while you're sending out item number one, you're now working on two and three and then you're able to send out item number four and seven and 12 and that's being persistent because eventually somebody gets it and sees it. And we had Frida Rothman on here and she was talking about her jewelry line and how there were several department stores who she had to keep going back to. One time it took not only sending photos, not only sending samples, but one time she actually had to send a business plan. And finally this big pie in the sky department store she wanted to get into said, you know what, that did it. When you finally sent us the business plan, that's when we could really understand what it was about. We got it, it clicked, we wanna get some of that product. But it wasn't about, well, do I persist with the same approach? Maybe you have to keep redefining your approach. Maybe you have to keep honing your craft. Maybe you have to keep honing the content. So that's some food for thought. If you guys want me to answer your questions, if you guys want me to give you feedback, send me over um, some of your questions. Send me over some of what you're working on. Come follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller, C-A-T-H-Y dot H-E-L-L-E-R. And uh, we can keep doing this every single episode. So today, at the end of today's episode, you're gonna hear one of my songs. I will play them at the end of every episode. Uh, the reason I'm playing the song that I'm, I'm putting here today is because this is a song I wrote a few years ago. It was licensed once before it was used as a promo for the DIY network. It was used in one of their promos. 
and we just got it licensed to a very big brand for a national TV spot. And when that spot is airing, I'll give you the details. Maybe you guys can start to think and you can post on Instagram or post on my Facebook page or Facebook group and guess what big ad, what big retailer do you think used the song? So stay tuned. You'll hear it at the end of the show. It's called I'll Be By Your Side. I wrote it when I was pregnant with my second daughter, Eliza. Uh, let me know what you think of it. All right. Thanks to Latote for supporting this podcast. Latote is an awesome fashion subscription box that sends you brand name clothing and accessories for one low monthly fee. Just fill out your style profile and sign up to get a custom tote delivered right to your door. Wear what you want, return everything in the mail when you're done, and you'll get a new box within days. Go to latote.com. That's L-E-T-O-T-E.com to get started for as low as $39 a month and enter promo code DREAMJOB to get 50% off your first month. I don't know about you guys, but this happens to me quite often. I will be going shopping. Let's say I want to get some shoes and I didn't have enough time. So I bought two pairs of shoes. I really liked one pair. The other pair, I wasn't sure if I loved the color. I wasn't sure if I loved the fit. I was going out to celebrate something and I was late. I was like, I got to get out of here. And so I bought both pairs of shoes. I've only worn one pair. I never wore the second pair. And I think it's past, you know, the, the weeks where I can return it at this point. And they were $180 pair of shoes. And... I get really frustrated with that. And sometimes I wish I could just try something on, take it home, wear it for a few days, see if I like it. And then if I don't, I have the option to either keep it or send it back. So with Latote, you can do that. It's perfect. If you want to try out a trend, but you're not sure it will actually look great on you or if you're going to actually like it, you can just send back what you don't like. So go to Latote.com and enter my code DREAMJOB to get 50% off your first month. That's Latote.com and code DREAMJOB. Feel fabulous with fashion delivered right to your door. Thanks to Work in Progress for supporting our podcast. Work in Progress is a new podcast about the meaning and identity we find in work. It's hosted by Dan Meissner and it's produced by Slack. Each episode has stories of rising ambitions and debilitating insecurities, great success, and abject failures. The plans we make and the luck that well, happens. They feature great stories about an artist who attempts to rebuild success in a different culture, an entrepreneur who built a baking business despite a disability, and the journeys of creatives, freelancers, and individuals from all types of backgrounds. Follow along on Twitter at Slack Stories and find more great stories at slack.com slash podcast. That's slack.com slash podcast or at Slack Stories on Twitter. Thanks to Beachbody On Demand for supporting the podcast. Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective, world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs, plus extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. So I have been really excited because I have three kids. Uh, My oldest is five and a half, and I have not had my body back until now. It's just been so nice to be able to like you know, buy normal clothes and be my normal self. So here's what I want to tell you. Go on to Beachbody On Demand and try the 21 Day Fix program. What's exciting is that today is August 21st. So just try it. You have 21 days on the 21st. That's some good synergy there. Check it out. You're going to feel great. And what's awesome is you can do this on your own time with step-by-step program guides, workout calendars, comprehensive and customizable nutrition plans, and the support of a growing community, Beachbody On Demand is the total package. You can stream over 600 workouts from programs like P90X, 21 Day Fix, like I said, and Insanity, all proven to deliver amazing results created by world-class super trainers. Beachbody On Demand also includes the brand new first-of-its-kind cooking show for healthy weight loss and portion control called Fixate, which has over 100 recipe videos to help you cook healthy, delicious, and simple recipes for you and your family. This is a brand new service, but it already has over a million members. Get your free trial membership by texting the word DREAMJOB, all one word, no spaces, to 303030 and get full access to the entire platform for free. Remember, text DREAMJOB to 303030 for full access to this entire platform for free. Guys, it is one of the best things you can do to support us, to support our sponsors. Please do it. Um, Tell your friends to listen to the show. Tell them to try these great things out. I think you're going to love Latote. I think you're going to love Beachbody and check out uh, Work in Progress podcast as well. All right, without further ado, we have Donnie Most here. Donnie Most played Ralph Malf on Happy Days. I was so excited when he uh, was saying that he wanted to be on the show. I watched this show as a kid. Um, You know, I'm 38 years old, but everybody has seen all these episodes of Happy Days. By the way, what a good show. I went back and was watching some of it. Henry Winkler was amazing. Such quality acting. And look at everybody in that show and the cast and the producer, Gary Marshall. Such amazing work. So, So much love. So much creativity was poured into the show. And Ralph Malf. 
Donnie Mo's character. He was so sweet, so endearing, so cute, so funny. So he's here today. Um, he's been up to a lot of other stuff. He played Emma's dad on Glee, and he's been working on this awesome album. So without further ado, let's hear his story. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is so much fun. So let's go all the way back. When you were a kid, did you think that you were going to grow up and do the things that you went on to do? Well, when I was really young, I, I, I was more interested in becoming a baseball player. <laughs> that was my dream <laughs> when I was, you know, seven, eight, uh, around then. But then when I was nine, I saw the movie, uh, a movie called The Jolson Story, which was a biopic about the great Al Jolson, who yeah. was a huge, huge, uh, you know, they consider him the world's greatest entertainer, whatever, back in the 20s and right. 30s. And then uh, they did a movie about him. And when I saw that, I was, uh, it impacted me in a very profound way. It was like, I, I don't know why, I mean, it was only nine, and but I loved um, something about his voice his, his the mu- and the music. Um, Larry Parks played him and he played him great and and I, I remember I watched that movie uh, it was on something called Million Dollar Movie mm-hmm. and, and, and this was in I grew up in Brooklyn and so in, New, in the New York area it was on and they would pick a movie for the week and they would show it twice a night every day and then four times Saturday and four times Sunday and, <laughs> and I think I watched it almost every time oh so um, I, I almost knew knew the film by heart so after that, I you know I got a lot of Jolson's albums and 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 I knew then that's kind of what I initially it was more the singing and you know maybe acting yeah. too but it was the music at first and um, but I didn't really admit it you know I I did plays in camp and all that and and but it it was like I didn't want to admit it to people because at at that age I thought it was kind of you know it just didn't right. seem cool not or the something. cool thing to do yeah I don't want to sing and yeah, all that stuff. And, so then and, what happens? When does that finally Well, then when, when I was about 13, it was like it became a really apparent that, you know, this is, uh, I was at my bar mitzvah, actually, they had a band and they were <laughs> playing some of that kind of music and, and somebody, I don't know, somehow I wound up on stage and then I sang one of the Jolson songs. Oh my God. And, and, and you know, went over big, everybody couldn't. Oh my God, you must have been so cute. And then everybody was like saying, oh my God, he's got to do something with this, you know. So then it was like the cat was out of the bag, I guess. So I, um, my parents, you know, they, as long as it didn't interfere with going to, you know, my normal school schooling and all that, uh, they supported it. So uh, somebody knew of a place in, in Manhattan that, you know, had a sort of a studio, a school for for people who were, wanted to do this, you know, yeah. singing and acting and all that. So I, I started going to that. And, um, and then, I don't know, maybe a year later, I got picked to be part of the guy who ran the place uh, had a professional troupe that he handpicked people from the school and, and booked them you know, it was in a review that uh, that we performed up in. So I, I spent the summer when I was 15 up in the Catskill Mountains singing, oh, so singing in the hotels, you know, the nightclubs. Yeah. Uh, that's part of this review. So um, that was the beginning, you know. Yeah. Um, but then um, after that summer was over, uh, I had a talk, long talk with my father. And, you know, he, he I don't know, he, he started talking to me about maybe if I was really into it. To, he thought I should take a real acting class, uh, something more serious. And, you know, I knew he was, I don't know, deep down right about that because I was in, interested in doing that as well. And yeah. and so I started, I went to this uh, workshop and and I really got into to that side of showbiz or whatever, it more that really got into acting. And, and through that teacher, I met a woman who was a manager and then she took me on and and uh, started sending me out on auditions um, in New York. Uh, you know, that was the, the center of where they did a lot of yeah. the, uh, commercials because they weren't shooting films in New York then very much, you know, once in a while. But right. and TV, it was not much of anything there except soap operas and, and, and Broadway, you know, theater. So but I started getting out on commercial interviews and then uh, eventually I started getting some of those. And then I did a whole slew of them and uh, and I went to college in Pennsylvania and I was doing theater uh, as much as I could while I was there and commuting into Manhattan going on these auditions oh, wow. and, you know and um, and I did a lot of them and and that 
sort of led me to decide to, after my junior year, I, I came out to L.A. initially just for the summer. Yeah. Because I knew when I graduated, I'd want to, more of the work was in L.A. at the time. And yeah. um, so I, I wanted to make some contacts and get my feet wet out in L.A. So I came out just for the summer and uh, was able to get an agent because of some of the agents I was working with in New York referred me to some people. I met with them and and I was lucky, you know, really good agent took me on. And then um, and I got a couple of parts pretty quickly, you know, guest starring roles on some TV shows during the summer. And one was a, a couple of them were more dramatic. You know, it was not really comedy. Um, one was a police story and um, where I played like this psycho bomber guy. And then a, <laughs> and then another was emergency where I played a guy who got to a, into a car accident and became paralyzed. Aye, so aye. so I wasn't really looking, you know, comedy. I figured, yeah, well, if it was good, I could do it. But and then. Um, my agent said after the summer, you know, you, you got some momentum going. You should think about continue. you know, just take, you could take six months off. Of, you go back to school after six months, but while you got things going, it might be good to continue. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I didn't even have to really think about it at that point. It was like, it was, um, yes, that's what I'm going to do. Wow. So I actually flew home to New York because my sister's wedding was on Labor Day weekend and I was supposed to be back in college the next week. <laughs> and then I, you know, I flew back a few days after the wedding and just came back to LA and and then like nothing happened for like several months and I'm like, oh no, this was uh, a big, big uh -oh. mistake, you know. <laughs> but then I had a series of interviews uh, for Happy Days uh, that led and then led to a screen test. And then at the same time, I was up for another thing, all of a sudden, wow. a TV movie. And, you know, and then uh, after the screen test for Happy Days, you know, that's then I wound up uh, taking that role. And that's how that all got going. Did you have any idea when you were auditioning for Happy Days that it would become what it was? No, no when I was auditioning for it, you know, I was it was exciting. It was real exciting. And I knew Gary Marshall was the exec producer. And I knew of him because he had the odd couple on TV mm -hmm. at the time with Tony Randall and Jack right. Klugman. And I knew he had also been a producer writer on the Dick Van Dyke show, which was always one of my favorite shows growing up. So I knew, you know, that it was in good hands and the pedigree and all that, that it would have a decent chance. But But when we shot the pilot, I do have to say, you know, when I met everybody in the cast, you know, meeting Ron Howard, who, it, and that was really bizarre for me because when I was young, you know, like when he was doing Andy Griffith's show and right. uh, I, I was that age with my red hair and we were oh, no. about the same age. You guys look like brothers. Yeah. yeah, yeah but people thought I, uh, people literally thought I was him at times oh, and, yeah. and, and they would call me Opie. And so then here I am, you know, all these years later and I'm meeting him and I'm going to be working with him. It was very surreal for me. Oh. Um, but meeting him and, and then Tom Bosley, who had, you know, won the Tony on Broadway and, and I'd seen him in movies and, and then meeting Henry Winkler and, and watching the way the chemistry, you know, I, I remember having a really good feeling about it. And I was so new and I, I didn't know whether those were great instincts or just wishful thinking, you know. Um, I remember telling my parents, you know, I have a really good feeling about this, but I know they figured, <laughs> I know they figured, you know, I was just being hopeful but, uh, you know, in retrospect, I think I did have a, a good uh, yeah, I would say so. instinct. I would you know? say so. What was that like for you, that journey? Because you became pretty, pretty famous. How did, yeah. that, how did you handle all that? And what was that like? <laughs> that, that is a very difficult thing. Um, you know, I mean, people think, oh, it's got to be great. And, you know, at the beginning, and, and there certainly were a lot of great things about that, you know, and, and at the beginning, it was a total kick and, and amazing kind of a trip into the twilight zone, so to speak. Right. <laughs> um, but then what happens is, you know, it's not just, it's not like, okay, that was great for what now, you know, now, now I need some privacy, or now let's turn this off. Or, you know, because when it started getting really crazy, uh, when we were number one and all that, and and you couldn't go anywhere without, you know, wow. being known and recognized, it 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 changes your life, you know, in a oh in a way that's God. hard. It's really hard to, you know, explain. And you know, I would say to people afterwards, I would say, you know, this in, in acting class, that's the one thing they never really taught you about. You know, you didn't train <laughs> how to deal with that, you know, a hundred and eighty degree or more flip in your life. You Unbelievable. know. Unbelievable. 
I mean, but there were obviously wonderful things about about it as well. But it was tricky dealing with that when you're young, you know. But you stayed so grounded. I mean, from what I know, and I, I oh, just what I'm reading, you stayed. You've been married to the same person. You had a family. Like, yeah. You, you were clearly, you know, you're a humble person because that's could so easily have taken you into a different place. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you know, there were certainly times where maybe I was feeling that pull, the seduction to to go into different paths and darker paths or whatever. Um, but luckily, I, you know, I had a great uh, upbringing. My, my parents, you know, were unbelievable. And they're, you know, my grandparents and my cousins, you know, that family yeah. uh, support and, and background. And, you know, having also the fact that I had grown up, I, I, I wasn't, people think of me as maybe a child actor, but I really wasn't. You know, I mean, I, I was in Brooklyn and had a normal yeah, childhood. Yeah, normal childhood, yeah. And yeah. in public school and, and then high school and then college. So I was a young adult when this started. It was, right. it, it's been a lot tougher, you know, to, to have been like a teenager or younger when all that happened. So, but I owe a lot to my family and 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 friends and you know to have a normal sort of growing up period as my grandma would say you're such a mensch i I love talking to people who when you see them on tv and you love them and then you speak to them and you realize they're even more endearing and it's just such a blessing because normally it's not always like that um so let's talk about for a second because you and the entire cast, there's such an incredible uh, synergy. Everybody was so talented. And, you know, things don't just go on for 11 seasons unless they're amazing. And there's so much content out there. What do you think, being a fly on the wall and, you know, having been inside a, a mm-hmm. process, you know, for those people who are listening who are actors or directors or screenwriters, what do you think are some of the things that set it apart? Why do you think it was yeah. so great? It's a good question, and and people do ask that of me. Um, they they seem to be very curious about my perspective on that. Um, you know, I think the thing that comes up uppermost in my mind is you sort of alluded to it. It, it was that there was this uh, really fortuitous, serendipitous assembly of a of of a group of people. You know, for that cast, that where their personalities, their talent, and the chemistry. We we really respected each other. We grew to you know become a family. It sounds cliche, but it yeah. we we really did do things together all the time, and and we took the work very seriously. Uh, even though I think at the time the industry didn't take us very seriously, even when we started getting very popular, I think they looked at us as sort of this group of you know kids that were goofing off, having a good time, right. and you know, and we certainly had a good time. But we took the work really seriously and wanted to make everything as good as it could be. And also having an incredible uh, director, Jerry Paris was a was a genius comedy director. Uh, he directed all the old Dick Van Dyke shows, and that was yeah, another you know sort of weird coming around for me. And and Gary Marshall being our executive producer, who was sort of overseeing all the writers, and and then we had great great collaboration with you know so this cast and then jerry and gary and then some great writers um and it was just you know one of those things where we knew something special was happening and but i i I think you know so you could say yes the writing and the directing and but it was the cast that was you know you have to give the executive producers a lot of credit Uh, they assembled a cast that just worked on every level for those roles at that particular time yep yep what do you feel like is the biggest thing you learned about being an actor? Like, what makes it work? How, how do you really deliver? Hmm. You know, I'm still learning that. <laughs> I, I, I've had lots of conflicting ideas on that over the years, you know. Um, and I think where I'm at now, at least, and, and I kind of knew this, but didn't re- know it as well as I do now. Because I remember Jerry Paris used to say to me so many times, um, just trust yourself, you know, because right. he he would see me and he would see me working at it. It was almost like getting me to let go. And it, it's like work without the net, you know, yep. and and really trusting yourself. And it's easier said than done. And, and it's a hard thing to get to uh, because as an actor, you're doing all this sort of work preparing 
you know, analytical work and sort of understanding your character and and the circumstances and the subtext and right, right. and and the your inner thoughts and 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 the obstacles and everything and then what you're really asked to do when it's time to perform is now throw that all away yeah. <laughs> you know? so it's a it's a tricky thing to do uh, and for me i was always very uh, i've been told i was obsessively analytical so it was like it's like a tug of war between the different parts of my brain you know yeah. yeah but i think the biggest thing to learn is that you do have to when it's time you know the lights are on or the cameras on or whatever you, you have to let go and and trust trust yeah that's a really important lesson so happy days obviously is you know a legacy like nothing else but you've gone on to you've continued to work all of these years you know i actually left the show um when my contract was up after the seventh season and uh, as did ron howard that same season um you know because i felt I wanted to do so much more as an actor and not oh, just play one, play one role. And, you know, after s- seven years, it seemed it was time for a lot of reasons. And But it was very difficult to, um, breaking away. Uh, I knew it would be tough, but I don't know if I knew how tough it would be. Because back then, uh, it was different than it is now. People who are on hit TV shows now, you know, are doing films, yeah. and people who are doing films are doing TV. Back then, it was like if you were on a TV show especially a sitcom it was almost unheard of to then go into films you know right. and i just and i told my agents you know i just don't i don't want to do another series right now i just want to do movies and theater but it was it was very hard so i wound up going back and doing some tv and and i did a bunch of theater but it was slow going you know getting those those roles that's uh, hard I, to believe it really it, is well well, because if I hadn't sort of, uh, you know, there, there were things I had been offered right when I left the show, but they, they were like pilots for new shows and right. I didn't want to do them. Right. So, you know, in retrospect, maybe I probably should have t- done that. So I could have done, made the transformation more gradually. I was trying to do it like in one fell swoop, you right, know. Right, I understand. Yeah. Um, so it was tough. But then after some time, you know, I did more and more and... Um, and I continued doing guest roles and some TV movies and some features, independent films. And more recently, uh, you know, I did things like Star Trek Voyager, where I played the villain in a, in a two-part episode and, yeah. and all kinds of guest roles. And um, then I did a recurring role on Glee. I played um, the father to, yeah, that's the, amazing. to the character of Emma. And that was a, a lot of fun. And, and more recently, some, some independent films that I've enjoyed. And then I directed... Uh, three independent films. So now getting to the question of um, what I'm doing now, I, I have uh, about three or four film projects that I'm trying to get going and some people are looking right now at them and there's some interest. So I'm hoping to get that off the ground where I would be directing some and some I would maybe just be a producer on. Also a TV project that is gaining some traction. That's exciting. Wow. Yeah. And and then the, the singing thing, what happened was... Um, you know, I, I hit a point where, you know, I've always loved the music. You know, uh, as we talked about, it was my first passion. Yeah. And I've always loved the great jazz standards and, and big band and jazz and swing. And, you know, the music that uh, Sinatra and, and Nat King Cole and, and, and my favorite Bobby Darren. I'm a huge Darren fan who, who I saw at the Copacabana when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And, and I decided about three years ago, well, if I'm ever going to do it, now's the time. Because, you know that kind of music has, has came back into favor and it because yeah. back in the 70s and 80s when I was on the show it was not right and right. it was not at all there was no Michael Bublé at that time no no yeah. or you know Harry Connick and right. and Diana Krall and and it was looked upon as sort of passé as and as your as another generation's music and and um, it was difficult to do. So I said, if I'm going to now, I should do this. So I, I put together an act in three years, almost four years now, and started doing clubs in L.A. and New York and then even other clubs around the country and some theaters and just was having a blast. Oh, and, so cool. uh, and I did a CD uh, called D-Most Mostly Swinging, which... Uh, came out a few months ago and uh, I'm really excited Your about voice it. Is amazing and I was amazed because normally when somebody is so good at one thing it's hard to believe they'll be that good at something else but you really you you do oh, it all. Well thank you I'm glad yeah. you got a chance to hear Everyone, some of if it. you haven't heard it you guys have to go and listen to it you guys are gonna love it you should buy it you're gonna 
You'll be hooked. Yeah, it's, you know, on Amazon and iTunes with this great uh, 17-piece band that swings. You know, I mean, they're just great musicians. So fun. Great arrangements. So, you know, I'm going to keep pursuing that. I have some more, you know, appearances for that lined up. But I'm really, my head is, now that I've been doing that and, you know, I've got it going, I, now I'm, I'm so anxious to get back in front of the camera and do some more, some great work as an actor and then oh, hopefully so cool. behind the camera too. All right. So as we're, we're summing up, um, I have a couple questions. First of all, sure. I, know you, I know you have two daughters. Yes. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, in that role as a parent, you are looking to encourage them and, you know, give them your best, you know, pieces of wisdom. And mm-hmm. those who are listening right now, you know, they would love your your input. And I'm curious, what's your advice to somebody who has a dream, wants to pursue something, you know, if they feel, is that overwhelming? Can they really make it? Should they give yeah. it up? Should they go do something that, you know, is more quote unquote practical? Right. Um, what's your advice to someone who's listening who would mm-hmm. love to do that? Yeah, that, that is a tough question. Uh, question because at least on you know the business that I'm familiar with in terms of you know acting and singing that kind of performing um, it is a very difficult uh, business with tremendous competition and a lot of times things don't seem fair and it can be cruel and two and two doesn't always mean four and a lot of talented people who you know struggling to get to make their mark uh, right. so I'm usually a lot of times reluctant to encourage people but uh, but I would <laughs> but what I would say is if you love it you just know in your heart that's what you have to do and want to do then yes by all means pursue it but you have to be very single-minded about it because if that's what you're going to do then that's it and perseverance is um, incredibly important and I've certainly gone through those periods and uh, where where I've questioned, you know, when I was hitting a lot of those brick walls, when I was trying to break away from the character and the association yeah. with the show yeah. because it was holding me back, uh, there were plenty of times, and there still are, where I go, gosh, I'm, you know, maybe I should just forget it, you know. That's so interesting to hear that coming out of your mouth because, oh, yeah. you know, you're like this iconic person and we're it's not like- on the inside. We don't see that. Yeah, I feel like there's so much that I have, that, so much more that, I, I, yes, I'm, I, I feel incredibly lucky and blessed and, and fortunate to have been able to do a lot of the things I've done. But I, at the same time, I feel like I haven't touched the tip of the, you know, the iceberg. Yeah. I mean, I, that's only been the tip of the iceberg and there's so much more to do that I feel like I haven't, you know, I've been stymied. I, but I don't know, you know, that's when you question a lot of things and that's when you get into trouble. And yeah. so you just have to, like I said, if you really feel it, then keep pushing. And that's why I'm just as motivated now than I was when I was, you know, in my 20s, I think. So, um, well, that's awesome. We had yeah. a, Ed Begley Jr. on the show and he said the same. Oh, yeah. Thing, you know, and he's like, he's only getting stronger and stronger. Like he's just heating up now in his third act. It's really, I mean, I'm sure for you, I'm sure for you, there's so much more to come and it's just so, um, well, I do feel there's a lot more that I have, you know, that I want to come out of me as an actor, as an actor and as a director and as a singer. I can't wait to see what that is. Yeah. Well, I I can't wait either. I hope, uh, (laughs) I hope that will be forthcoming very soon. Okay. Last two questions. What's the best piece of advice that you ever got? Oh my gosh! Uh, well, I you know gave you one of them already. I think Jerry's um, advice to me about trusting re- about yeah. trusting myself is definitely it's right up there. Well, well, yeah, my grandfather used to you know, say, aim high and shoot straight. <laughs> so that one's right up there too. And what does that mean to you? Well, you know, aim to the height of of your vision, and then get on as straight a line as you can, you know, which again has to do with that single-mindedness and, and perseverance. And, and you know, if you're aiming high, it might take a while, but you got to keep going. Everybody loves you even more now, just spending this last <laughs> 30 minutes with you. Um, so where can everybody find you next? Where's your next club date? Where can oh, we yeah. find you? I, I haven't done a club uh, date in LA in a while because I've been traveling a lot, but I'm I'm talking to a place that where I did my very first show four years ago out in Studio City, uh, Vitello's. I love that place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was um, just there the other night seeing a friend, and uh, the guy who owns the club said, "Hey, when are you coming back?" And yeah. So so we're talking about uh, a potential date right now of September 
And then New York, I'm talking about doing a club uh, called the Metropolitan in September, too. So um, my website, I'll, I'll try to keep it updated. That is awesome. Uh, Donnymost.com. Uh, I, I would love to be there and see you. It would be great to meet you. So I hope yeah. uh, uh, come to Vitello's and, um, and bring some people and it'll be a I lot will. of fun. I will. Yeah. So if you guys are listening, come join me. We can have a drink. Come to Vitello's. I'll let you guys know. I'll follow up when I find out when it is. Yeah. I'll follow up with you guys and I'll let you guys know. Don, thanks so much for being here and for being the person you are. Oh, thank um, you so much, Kathy. You, you've been a doll to talk to. No, well, and, you're, you're easy to love. The whole world <laughs> is cheering you on and can't uh-huh. wait to see what's next. So thank uh-huh. you for spending this time with us. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. That was so much fun. I love getting to meet, you know, people who you've looked up to and you turns out they're really nice people. That's really a refreshing thing. All right, here are some takeaways. Number one, let go and trust yourself, even if there's no safety net. Number two, if you have a passion that you love and you know it's in your heart, then do it. But you have to be single-minded about it. Number three, perseverance will take you very far. Number four, there's no stopping life, which means there's no stopping on your dreams. And number five, aim high and shoot straight. All right, guys. Well, if you want to ask me a question, follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller. Please share the show with your friends. The more that you guys share the show, you tweet about it, you Facebook about it, you send an email to a few people that fully, fully, fully um, help support us. And we really, really appreciate it. Um, You can also support our sponsors. That's another way to give back. Connect with me. Let me know what you're up to. Come to the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. Come to the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook page. I look forward to seeing you guys and cheering you on. And I'll talk to you next week. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. 